will to open up in your copy of God's Word. Open up in your copy of God's Word to Psalm chapter 116. Psalm chapter 116. And as you open up in God's Word, if you will stand to your feet, and we're going to read this passage of Scripture. Psalm chapter 116. Church family, this is the Word of God. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because He inclined His ear to me, therefore I will call on Him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. O Lord, I am Your servant. I am Your servant, the son of Your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. The title of our message today is Celebrating Salvation from Psalm chapter 116. Let me ask you a question. What was the last celebration that you were a part of maybe you're thinking even this week thanksgiving right what else what was the last celebration you were a part of maybe it was a wedding maybe it was a, a championship win or maybe it was a birthday party or, or an anniversary party or maybe a, a retirement party or maybe it was a baby shower or maybe it was some sort of ribbon cutting ceremony for a grand opening those are all examples of moments of celebration in our lives and the lives of those around us. We have those moments of celebration. But I call them moments of celebration because the celebration, and I think you would agree with me, is short-lived. It's short-lived. Soon the reception is finished. Soon the stadium clears out. Soon the family and friends leave the party. So soon the, the grand opening is, is over. And we may look back on those celebrations with fond memories, and we should, but we're not still celebrating those things. In fact, it would be a little strange if I invited you over tomorrow to my house to celebrate my wedding, which happened seven and a half years ago, right? That would be a little strange. Or what if I say, can you come over to my house on Saturday? I'm going to have a birthday party for myself. And you say, when's your birthday? I say, back in March. That would be weird, right? That would just be weird. These celebrations in our lives are good. I'm not making fun of the celebrations. But they're only moments of celebration. They're only moments. However, however, there is a celebration which is not 
to be confined to a moment in our lives, but is to be lived out every single day of our lives. If you've received the great salvation God provides to the lost, those who are sinners, who are lost in their sins, separated from God, if you've received that salvation, then you have reason to celebrate today. Regardless of whatever else is going on in your life, you have reason to celebrate. In fact, the salvation that God provides should result in a celebration which begins at the moment we receive salvation, goes on for the rest of our lives here on this earth, And then it's going to continue for all of eternity as we worship the Lamb who was slain, as we say, all glory, honor, and praise belongs to Him who is on the throne. It will be an eternal celebration. So if you want a reason to celebrate, all you need to do is consider the salvation that God has provided for you. If I want a reason to celebrate any moment of life, No matter what's going on, if I want a a reason to celebrate, all I've got to do, all you've got to do is consider the salvation that God has provided. Church, a consideration of salvation should lead the saved to celebrate. A consideration of salvation should lead the saved to celebrate. What do I mean by the saved? That is those who've repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. When we consider that, when we think about it, it should lead us to celebrate. Over the past several weeks, we've been learning from various psalms about the doctrines of Christianity, these these main teachings of the Christian faith. We've looked at the doctrines of revelation, doctrine of God, doctrine of humanity, doctrine of sin, and doctrine of Christ. We spent three weeks on the doctrine of Christ. I feel like we could have spent a whole year on the doctrine of Christ. There's so much to talk about when it comes to Jesus. But we're going to move on today to the doctrine of salvation. The teaching, the biblical teaching about salvation. Of course, we can't say everything about salvation the Bible says about salvation. But we do want to see what Psalm chapter 116 says about salvation. And I think Psalm chapter 116 was written for the purpose of leading God's people to celebrate salvation. This psalm reminds God's people of the God who has saved them. It reminds God's people of the dip, some different aspects of our salvation. And it helps us know how to celebrate in a way that honors God. And so we want to ask these questions today. What is the focus of our celebration? What, what, what is the reason for our celebration? And how are we to celebrate? Brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter our circumstances, our lives should be marked by a celebration of salvation which glorifies God and then leads the world in wanting to join in on that celebration. First thing I want us to see today is the focus of our celebrating. What is the focus of our celebrating? We can say it this way. The focus is the God who saves. That is the focus of our celebrating. The focus of our celebrating is to be the God who who saves. This may seem like a very obvious point, but sometimes it's the obvious things. You've heard me say this before. Sometimes it's the obvious things that we need to be reminded of, that we fail to remember. This psalm begins and ends by directing our attention to the one true God. At the very beginning, at the very end, it starts off focusing on God and it ends focusing on God and it focuses on God all throughout the psalm. Notice the first words of the psalm are, I love the Lord. I love who? The Lord. And then notice the last words of the psalm. Praise the Lord. Begins and ends with 
Lord. I know many of you know this, but just in case you don't, I want to I want you to understand how specific the psalmist is when he speaks of this one called Lord. When you see that word Lord there in all caps in your Bible, it's talking about the name of God that was revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai. I am who I am. We would pronounce those Hebrew letters Yahweh. So he's not just saying pick any Lord that you want to worship and love and praise. Saying there is only one, a true God, that is to be the focus of our celebration. It's the God who made you and the God who has worked salvation for you. It's that Lord. Fourteen times in this psalm, the psalmist mentions this Lord, this Yahweh God, this creator of heaven and earth. And even though celebrations often seem to be centered upon a particular event, if you think about it, celebrations are really focused on a person or a group of people. Just just think about it. When you go to a wedding, you're not merely celebrating the occasion of a wedding, but you're celebrating the bride and the groom, right? When you go to a birthday party, you don't just sing happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday. You sing happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. Why? Because the focus is on the one who is celebrating their birthday that day. Who's having a birthday. Think about a, a championship ring ceremony. It's celebrating more than just this championship. The focus is the team who won the championship. Imagine the following conversation. Do you want to come to a baby shower next week? Sure. Who's having a baby? Oh, well, no one. I just love baby showers. The decorations are looking great. Make sure you bring a gift. We would never have a conversation like that. We would never have a baby shower unless somebody's having a baby. We would never have a birthday party unless somebody's having a birthday. We would never have a wedding unless two people are getting married. We're going to talk a lot about salvation today, but we don't want to lose sight of who is behind the salvation. It is the God who saves. We must never lose sight of the who of our celebration when it comes to celebrating salvation. But it's so easy to do that. It's so easy. And all all the attention here in this psalm is on, on the Lord, and yet so often, so often we put the attention on ourselves even when we're attempting to celebrate salvation. But notice that we love Him, we praise Him, verses 1-4, through because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because He inclined His ear to me, therefore I will call on Him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol, that's a Hebrew word meaning the grave, laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Who is the one doing the saving? It is God. We must be on guard when we celebrate salvation against the temptation to direct the attention to ourselves. Our testimony of salvation. When we tell somebody about, about the fact that we're saved and how that happened, it ought to be more focused on God than it is on us. Because sometimes when I hear people share their testimony of salvation, it sounds like it's all about them. Our songs of salvation must be more about God than they are about us. Unfortunately, sometimes people attempt to write songs praising the Lord, and yet it's all about me and I and everything about me, and it doesn't really say much about God. Our conversations about salvation, when we talk with one another, they need to be more about God than they are about ourselves. The only role we play in our salvation is crying out in desperation that we can't do anything and we need God to do everything. That's our role in salvation. It's saying, I can't do anything. I mean, the, the, the psalmist here is talking about, he, he's not just kind of walking through some dangerous uh, traps that are set around him. He is ensnared in death, and there's nothing he can do. 
praise God, He hears our cry for salvation and He provides the salvation we need. We need to be reminded that He is the one who has done the saving. And perhaps the longer we're saved, hear me church, perhaps the longer we're saved, the more we need to be reminded that He is the one who has done the saving. It very well could be that those who are in the gravest danger of forgetting about the God who has saved them whenever we celebrate salvation are those of us who have been saved for a considerable number of years. Because the temptation is to start thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. The temptation is to forget that we were this psalmist in verses 1 through 4. That we were ensnared by our sin. And there was nothing we could do. I hope and pray that as we grow in Christ, we we put aside sin and we see that we are sinning less than we used to. But that doesn't mean we're any more deserving of salvation than we used to be. We must be reminded that God is the one who has saved us. The one who does the work gets the glory. How foolish it would be to walk into a wedding reception as a guest and sit in the seat of the bride or the groom. How foolish that would be, and yet I wonder how often we make the Christian life about ourselves. We walk in and sit in the seat that belongs to God. Maybe maybe the previous psalm will help us out a little bit. Look back at Psalm chapter 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. Why? Because God is the one who has done the work of salvation. When you spend time with the Lord in Bible reading or prayer, are you the focus of that time or is God? When you gather with the church, are you focused more on yourself or on God? Do you leave those times saying, well, I don't know if I really got anything out of that, or I would have done that different. Or do you leave those times, whether personal time of worship with the Lord or corporate worship with the church, just in awe of the greatness of God and saying, I gave my all in worshiping God. He was the object of my affection. My focus was on Him. When you speak about your salvation, are you the focus or is God? Do you emphasize your decision to believe in Jesus? Or do you emphasize God's decision to save you by sending your Son? And emphasize the Son's decision to die on the cross to rescue you from your sin? And emphasize the Holy Spirit's decision to draw your heart to the Lord and awaken faith inside of you? We celebrate salvation well when the God who saves is the focus of our celebration. But then we move on. We move on to the next thing we see here in this psalm. And that is our reason for celebrating. Our reason for celebrating. Of course, we've already touched on it. But the psalmist is going to dive a little bit deeper in verses 5-11 through 11 to our reason, into our reason for celebrating. Church, the reason for our celebrating is the salvation God has provided. The focus ought to be on the God who saves, but the reason is the salvation that God has provided. Now, God would be worthy of worship even if He never did anything to save us. Just because He's God. But the fact is that God has acted in such a way that we have ample reason for celebrating. He has done something worth an eternity of celebration. What has He done? He has provided an incredible salvation. We see this described in verses 5-11. through 
Again, we could spend lots of time unpacking just word by word and verse by verse through here. I want to summarize this salvation with three descriptions which should lead us to celebrate. I want to summarize this salvation. First, in verses 5 through 7, we'll look at those verses. Here we see that God gives us a free salvation. God gives us a free salvation. Notice what the text says. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Beautiful, beautiful verses here. Notice the emphasis on God's character in verse 5. He is gracious, He is righteous, and He is merciful. And so what that means is in His righteousness, God should punish us. The righteous thing for God to do is to punish sin. To punish sinners. However, He's also gracious and He's merciful. And so God gives us salvation freely. It's what grace is. It means to get something that you don't deserve as a gift. A free gift that you don't, you don't work for. You don't pay it back. He doesn't make us earn it. And of course, we never could earn it. Notice that it says we are simple. This word simple doesn't mean that we live a simple lifestyle or you don't fill our life with a bunch of stuff. This word simple means we're fools. That's basically what this means. That, that we're like walking around in the dark with our eyes closed. Stumbling through life and we don't really know what weighs up and what weighs down. We are simple. In other words, we are not wise enough to earn our salvation. And then it says we are brought low. What does that mean? Well, it means that we're, we're, we're low when God is high. We can even look back at chapter 113 where it says the Lord is high above all the nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high and who looks far down on the heavens and earth? The answer is no one. You're not like God. I'm not like God. He's, he's so far beyond us. We are low. So there's no way that we could get to God on our own. We're not able to lift ourselves up to God. And yet, verses 5 through 7 says, even though we are simple, even though we are brought low, God preserves us and God saves us. Which means He does so graciously and mercifully. He doesn't say, if you will do this and this and this, then I'll save you. God gives us salvation as a free gift. This is good news to lost sinners. The question is, how is God able to remain righteous while at the same time punishing us for our sins? We just said that God is righteous, which means He must punish sin. And yet at the same time, He's gracious and merciful, which means He provides us a a way of escape. He provides us His free gift of salvation. So how can He do both at the same time without contradicting His character? The answer is Jesus. The answer, church, is Jesus. God is able to give us a free gift of salvation while remaining righteous by punishing His Son, Jesus Christ, in our place. He doesn't leave our sin unpunished. He punishes all sin. But what He does in His mercy and His grace is He punishes His Son instead of us. Salvation is free to us because it costs His Son His life. Because it is free, our souls can be at rest. You know, if you have to earn something, you're always wondering, like, did I do enough to, 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 to earn it? Did I do enough to, to, to make the boss happy? Did I get the paycheck at the end of the week? Did I do enough? Did I do enough? Did I do enough? But when something's free, you don't have to wonder if you've done enough. Because it's free. Our souls can be at rest, is what verse 7 says. Restless are those who think they must add something to the salvation that God has provided. 
Restless are those who think they must do something to hold on to the salvation God has provided. Restless are those who try to earn salvation, whether they're trying to earn all of it or they're trying to earn just part of it. But at rest, at rest is the person who is resting in the free gift of salvation provided by the finished work of salvation accomplished by Jesus on the cross. You know what Jesus said? He said, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I will give you rest. How could he tell guilty sinners to be at rest when they were deserving the wrath of God? He could say that because he knew he was going to absorb all of God's wrath upon himself when he died on the cross. Listen, friends, it's only when we run to Jesus that we find true rest for our souls. There's nothing more that we have to add to complete our salvation. There's nothing left to earn. Notice it says, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. I don't know how many of you experienced a bounty this past week. I know the Lord blessed our our Thanksgiving gathering in such a way that as we walked through the line, there was no question whether or not there was going to be enough to eat. The question was, what are we going to do with all of these leftovers? And so we're eating them for lunch today, like many of you are going to do. There was a bounty. I I had this certain level of hunger that I wanted quenched, but there was no doubt that there was enough to quench my hunger and the hunger of everyone else who had gathered there for Thanksgiving. Friends, there's a bounty of God's grace. There's a bounty of the blood of Christ poured out for your sin. Enough to cover all of our sin. His grace is sufficient for us. There's nothing left that we have to add. It is free. God has provided us a free salvation. God has also provided us a death-defying salvation. A death-defying salvation. We see this in verses 8-9. through One of the aspects of salvation which should lead us to continually celebrate is just how much we have been saved from. Think about it like this. If you had an ant on you, and I walked up and I just kind of brushed that ant off your shoulder, you would probably be very thankful, but you probably wouldn't throw a a celebration, a party in my honor. That would be a little strange, right? But if you were unconscious in a burning building and I ran in and picked you up and carried you to safety, you might would throw a a celebration in my honor. I wouldn't expect that, but it would be justified, right? The ant, not so much. Why? Because you weren't really in that much danger, unless you're just deathly allergic to ants. But unconscious in a burning building, I would say you're in a pretty, pretty difficult predicament right there. Like, you're hopeless. You're helpless. There's actually nothing you can do to rescue yourselves. And friends, that's how God has saved us. There's nothing that we could do to rescue ourselves. The pangs of death had laid hold on us. That's what verse 3 says. We were wrapped up in our sin and in our death. Church, we're not just a little dirty with sin and God brushed us off. As we're going to see in a moment, we were nothing but sin. And the wages of sin is death. God has delivered us from death and replaced our dying with living. This is not a small thing. Verses 8 and 9 says, For you have delivered my soul from death. 
My eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. We go from stumbling to walking. We go from the sorrow of being separated from God to the joy of dwelling with God. We go from eternal death to eternal life. This is not a small salvation. This is huge. This is life transforming. This is eternity altering. This is death defying. This is a salvation worthy of celebrating. I think this is one of the reasons that the psalmist can say in verse 15, precious is in the uh, sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Precious, verse 15 says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. What does that mean? Well, I think it means, well, first, what is a saint? Sometimes we think saints are just like really good Christians and the other Christians aren't saints. All Christians are saints. So you see the word saints in the Bible, which is referring to everybody who's trusted in Jesus for salvation, okay? When a saint, someone who belongs to God through faith in Jesus dies, God looks at that death and I think he says something like this. No worries. He looks at the death of a saint and he says, no worries. I already conquered the grave. My son tasted death for you. Physical death is just a temporary separation of your body and your soul. Your soul gets to dwell with me right now. And one day your body will be raised and transformed and will join your soul to dwell with me forever in the land of the living. Oh, what a precious thing to be laid in a grave, God says, which I have already conquered. Oh, what a precious thing death is when death is really a doorway into my presence, God would say. I have given you a life that even death can't take away. If you can't get excited about that, I'm not sure you have ever understood, I'm not sure you've ever experienced salvation, the salvation that God provides. God's provided a free salvation. He's provided a death-defying salvation. And then in verses 10 and 11, we see that God has provided an undeserved salvation. You see, it's free, it's, it's, it's death-defying, it's all of these things, and we didn't deserve any of it. It's an undeserved salvation. You see, it's one thing to save someone who loves you. It's one thing for me to run into that burning building and save someone who loves me and who is kind to me and who honors me and who respects me. It's a whole different story for me to run into that building to save someone who hates me and who rebels against everything I say and who is my enemy. And yes, that's exactly what God has done for us. Because that's exactly who we are in relation to God. Notice verses 10 and 11. It describes you and me and all of humanity perfectly. It's a summary of of what we studied in Psalm chapter 14 when we studied the doctrine of sin. I believe even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Certainly this is alarming. God is a God of truth. And we are all liars. We are greatly afflicted because we are great sinners. And yet it was while we were in this state of rebellion that God rescued us. He didn't say, you're a wicked sinner. Now, here are some things that you need to do to try to clean yourself up. And then I will love you and then I will save you. No. Friends, that's not the good news of the gospel. That would be bad news. Because we can't do anything to clean ourselves up. All we have to offer the Lord is sin. But we find these words in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for not the godly, but the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. 
In other words, somebody might run into the burning building if that person is good. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The words of Paul in his letter to the Romans. See, God doesn't save people who are deserving of salvation. He saves people who are undeserving of salvation. And that's good news for all of us because we're all undeserving. And this fact of salvation ought to lead us to celebrate It should lead us to celebrate more and more the longer we are Christians because Christian maturity is marked by a growing awareness of how undeserving of salvation we are. If you find a lack of celebrating salvation in your life, it might be because you've lost sight of how undeserving you are of salvation. Sometimes we need to be reminded of what great sinners we are so that we are reminded of what a great salvation we have so that we are reminded of what a great God we serve. Church, this is not a small salvation. The salvation is free. It's death-defying and it's all undeserved. And a great salvation calls for great celebration. We have reason for celebrating. But then we might ask, how are we to do that? How are we to go about celebrating? What kind of celebration will honor the God who saves? We've seen the focus of our celebration. We've seen the reason for our celebration. And now, finally, I want to turn our attention to the manner of our celebrating. The manner of our celebrating. How are we to celebrate? I think as we look at verses 12 through 19, we're going to see this, that the way that we celebrate is through thankful service to the God of our salvation. Thankful service. To the God of our salvation. This is how we celebrate. Thankful service. The psalmist asks a very important question in verse 12. He's described our our being caught in, in death, crying out for salvation. He's described the merciful God who hears, who rescues. He's described these different aspects of salvation. And then he asks this question in verse 12. It's a very important question. He says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? In other words, I've received this great salvation. Now what do I do for the Lord? Like, if you have received salvation, the question on your heart and mind is, how can I say thank you? Right? That's what you're trying to figure out. How do I say thank you? Before we look at the answer, we must not forget the previous 11 verses. You see, when someone gives us a great gift, there's often something in us that wants to repay the person. But remember, salvation is completely a work of God, which He freely gives to us in the midst of our sin. It's not something we can earn. It doesn't work like a loan where He says, well, I'll go ahead and give it to you, but I'm going to expect you to pay me back in full. That's not how salvation works. God doesn't give it to us free of charge up front and then require us to pay for it later. And I want to emphasize this because we never want to view our response of thankful service to God as in some way paying God back for the salvation that He gave to us. It's always and forever a gift of God's grace. And if we forget that, then our thankful service will turn into A service that's full of burden. And we will not serve with a thankful heart because we we will be burdened with trying to pay God back. 
But as long as we can remember that we're not paying God back when we offer to Him thankful service in response for salvation, then we will offer that service thankfully and with joy in our heart. Even the psalmist begins to answer the question of verse 12 in a way that reminds us of God's grace and that His grace comes before our response and undergirds our response. Verse 13 says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Now verses 13 through 19 is, a, is painting a picture of us of a worshiper entering into the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, so that's what's happening. He, he's, he's thought about how lost he was. He's thought about how much God has saved him and how great salvation is. Now he's walking into the temple to worship the Lord. And yet the first thing he says after he says, now what am I going to do to worship the Lord with this great salvation? He says, I'm going to offer up the cup of salvation. Well, that's a reference to the drink offering, which someone was a type of offering that you would offer. And yet this drink offering is the cup of salvation. And he just spent 11 verses telling us salvation is not something we do for God. It's something God does for us. And so even when he's asking this question, how do I respond? He can't even answer without first reminding himself that all really I have to offer back to God is the salvation that he's given to me. It's all, it's all a gift of his grace. And so he starts there. He walks in to worship, remembering that God has done everything for him. What we see is not the worshiper giving something to God, but rather taking something from God. He takes hold of this cup of salvation, which verses 1-11 through have already spoken of. So the first act of worship is an acknowledgement that anything I offer to God is merely a response to what God has already done for me. We cannot lose sight of that, or we will will fall, tre- fall prey to a very deadly spiritual disease where we have morphed into thinking that somehow God's free gift of salvation has turned into a workspace salvation. And I fear that there are many Christians who are living their Christian life that way. They started off realizing that it was a free gift, but somewhere along the way they thought they had to start paying God back and earning it or God's not going to keep loving them. God will love us all the way to the end in spite of ourselves. But then once he has taken hold of salvation, the psalmist responds with what I'm going to call thankful service to God. Notice verses 14 through 19. He says this, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. All of these verses uh, describe action on behalf of the psalmist. There's action that he is doing. There's an active response. And this active response is thankful service. The psalmist declares in verse 16 that he is a servant of Yahweh. A servant of God. Now if you pay close attention, verse 16 kind of seems a little strange. He says, I am your servant. But then in the same verse he says, you have loosed my bonds. What? I am your servant. You have loosed my bonds. You have loosed my bonds. I am your servant. What's going on there? What is it? Is he a servant or is he free? Are we still in bonds or have the bonds been broken? The answer is clearly both. The answer is both. How can it be? Well, let's think about it for a moment. I mean, if, 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 if I take off one set of chains only to put on another set of chains, what good was it to lose the first set of chains? Let's think about it this way. If I were to ask you this question, what do chains and slavery 
have to do with salvation? If I just came in today and I asked you that question, what do chains and slavery have to do with salvation? You would probably answer something like this. You'd probably say, well, the Bible says we're slaves to sin, and God, by His grace, sets us free from sin. And I would say, you're exactly right. But, but if we were really thinking about it, we would say, oh, that's, that's only partially right. That's only partially right. You see, we often emphasize the fact that God sets us free from sin when He saves us, which is awesome, and we ought to make a big deal about that. But it's just as true that when God saves us, He becomes our Master. And we are, in a sense, enslaved to Him. You say, well, what good is it to exchange one set of chains for another? Well, friend, the weight of the chains is determined by the Master. The weight of the chains is determined, is determined by the Master. And remember what Jesus said. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. What does all this mean? Well, when God saves us, He saves us to Himself. And there is no one better to belong to. There is no one better to be enslaved to, to use these words, than to the God who loved you to the point of sending His Son to die in your place. He rescues us out of the clutches of Satan and He becomes our Master. He frees us from the jaws of death so that we will live out the new life He has given us in obedience to Him. He transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light where He is King and we are His servants. God absolutely frees us. But that freedom is the freedom of living for God rather than living for ourselves. God saves us out of unrighteousness so that we live in righteousness. God saves us out of sin, not so that we will keep living and shackled to sin, but so that we will live and shackled, if you will, to holiness. I think the best explanation of this is found in Romans chapter 6. And I want to read starting in verses 15. Basically, this is an explanation of, of verse 16 of Psalm chapter 110. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15, Paul writes, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? In other words, because God, God's given us a free salvation, it's free, we don't have to do anything to earn it. That means we just keep living in sin. It doesn't really matter how we live. Nope, it's not at all what it means. He says, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are either slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? In other words, we're slaves no matter what. This depends on who our master is. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin... That's the having our bonds loose part of Psalm 116. Having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. That's the psalmist saying, I'm your servant. You've set me free, now I serve you. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So if you choose to stay enslaved to your sin, the fruit of that is death. Eternal death separated from God. But now, Paul writes, that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, here's what I'm saying. 
what I'm saying here. Here's what God's Word is saying to us. Either you are a slave of sin, which leads to death, or you are a slave of righteousness, which leads to life. Those are the two options. What is not an option is being set free from sin and being your own master. So if you think you can trust in Jesus and then just live however you want, you are greatly mistaken. I want you to notice what kind of service those who are saved offer to God. If God has saved us, we will want to serve the Lord. But notice what kind of service. It's thankful. It's a thankful service. Verse 17 says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. You see, our service to God is not a burden, but a privilege. It doesn't come from a begrudging heart, but from a thankful heart. In fact, a a life of thanksgiving is one of the hallmarks of the Christian life. Romans 1 tells us that the heart of sinful rebellion uh, against God is a lack of thankfulness. So Romans chapter 1 says, says we exchange the truth about God for a lie and we, and we, we fail to give Him thanks. So the heart of sinfulness is a lack of thanksgiving. So then it makes sense that those who have been set free from this rebellion live with thankfulness to God. Listen to me. If, if serving, and this, this is what I'm saying, this can be a danger even, especially if we've been seeking to follow the Lord and serve the Lord for many years. If serving a God is a burden to you, then then I fear that you may have never experienced the burden of your sin being removed from you by the power and love of God. Or if you have experienced, you've just lost sight of that great salvation. But if you have received God's free gift of salvation, if God has lifted from you the burden of your sin, if God has replaced your chains of darkness with the light and easy yoke of Jesus, then you will live in thankful service to the God who has saved you. What does thankful service look like? It means that you'll pursue holy living with a thankful heart. It means you'll set your mind on heavenly things and not on earthly things with a thankful heart. You'll be obedient to the great commission of Jesus with a thankful heart. You'll extend forgiveness to others with a thankful heart. You'll give to those in need with a thankful heart. You'll gather with the church and serve in the church with a thankful heart. You will do what the psalmist begins and ends this psalm by saying, love the Lord and praise the Lord with a thankful heart. What shall we render to the Lord for all His benefits to us, the psalmist asked. The answer is that we offer ourselves in thankful, glad-hearted submission to His rule and reign in our lives. This is how we celebrate salvation, church. By saying no to sin and yes to holiness. By saying no to rebellion and yes to obedience. By saying no to our flesh and yes to God's Spirit in us. That's what it means to love and praise God. Do you want to know whether or not you are celebrating salvation well? Well, then examine yourself to see whether or not your life is characterized by thankful service to God. If you find yourself slipping in thankful service, and we all do, we're not perfect. That's why I started our prayer out this morning, confessing that we're not perfect. Don't be too arrogant to admit this morning, if, if, if you're slipping in thankful service, if you are, then, then go back and meditate on verses 1 through 11. Meditate on your sinfulness and God's gracious salvation and spend some time at the foot of the cross. This is why we must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. For the person who lives at the foot of the cross is the person who celebrates salvation well. 
Because as missionary C.T. Studd said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make with Him. It is when we live at the foot of the cross, remembering the depth of our sin that put the Savior there, and remembering the love of the Savior that put the Savior there. It's then that we will live our lives in thankful service to the God who has given us such a great salvation. Church, there may be moments of temporary celebration we enjoy in this life, and we should enjoy those moments of temporary celebration. But there is a celebration that should always be taking place among the people of God in every season of life, in the highs and lows of life, from the moment that God saves us until we breathe our last breath and we enter into that eternal celebration. We are to be celebrating salvation in our lives. Focused on God. The reason of a great salvation played out in thankful service to Him. Would you pray with me? Father, incredible words in this song. These are Your words. Father, perhaps there's someone here today who says, I can't consider salvation and that lead me to celebrate salvation because I've never received salvation. Father, if there's someone here today who has never repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus, God, I pray that right now they would do what this psalmist did at the beginning of the psalm and they would confess that they are enslaved to sin and there's nothing they can do to, to fix that. There's nothing they can do to to rescue themselves. And Father, I pray that they would trust in what You have done to rescue them. I pray that they would say, God, I can't save myself, but You have done everything through Jesus to rescue me. And I believe in Jesus Christ right now for salvation. And Father, I pray that You would enter into their hearts and they would now become enslaved to You. And You are such a good Master. You are such a, such a good God. You love us and You walk with us and You keep giving us mercy and grace. You give us the Holy Spirit to help us follow You and to serve You. Father, for those of us who have trusted in Christ alone for salvation, God, I pray that this morning has been a reminder, an opportunity to consider the great salvation that You have given to us so that we can make sure that we are living our lives in celebration of salvation. God, it doesn't mean that we don't go through difficult times in life. It doesn't mean that there aren't trials and sorrows in our lives. But God, what it does mean is that no matter the circumstances, God, the world ought to look at us and they ought to see this, this glow of celebration in us that nothing in this world can, can, can cause to be dim and to snuff out. Lord, this, this, this celebration in us where we can't help but speak of how thankful we are to our God who has loved us and saved us. God, that the world would be able to see us living lives of service to God. And not, not with, with a sense of a burden, not, not just kind of shuffling our feet along with our head down and this gloomy look on our face saying, well, I guess I, I, guess I have to obey Jesus, but with this joyful thankfulness in us saying, I get to obey Jesus. And it is my privilege to serve the God who has rescued me. God, would You, through Your Spirit, check our hearts today. And Father, as we confess any, any sin to You right now, would we then be able 
to stand and sing songs of praise. Celebrate the God who has saved us so mightily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.